Give the secret handshake. Check your cloaks. And remove your tinfoil hats. This is the Illuminati Social Club. The podcast you don't want they to know about. This is bullshit. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. Welcome to the In Search of series here on the Illuminati Social Club. I'm your host, Jason from Parma. Joining me, as he always does, from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, Mr. Oliver Oxide. Hello, all. Hello there, sir. How's it going? Well, thank you. How about you? Excellent. And from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Dr. Steve Cloutier. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well. Good. Yes. So we are talking about Season 3, Episode 12, Sherlock Holmes? Really? Why? He's a fictional character. (sighs) Or is he? We'll find out. Or not. Um, oh, let's see. I, I know. I know who's going to be long-winded on his uh, uh, on, on his impressions of this episode. So, uh, Oliver, what were your impressions? Yeah, for once, it's not me who's being the long-winded one. Uh, this is going to be a nice break for the uh, listeners. Um, uh, you're going to tell us who who wrote and direct who wrote this episode, which I find completely on brand because it's about a fictional thing, um, <laughs> which this gentleman seems to be an expert in. Yes. Um, my my original my original thought was when we opened on the show was is is Lenny doing an audition for something? Maybe. Because it seems like he's screen testing where if someone's going Leonard do do brooding, <laughs> so he, we start off with this very brooding thing. Oh. Oh, um, oh, now now that you've mentioned it, we're, I'm going to break tradition here. Let's have a clip. Only a few phrases in English literature have left the printed page to gain their own immortality. Shakespeare's to be or not to be is one. Charles Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, is another. None perhaps has captured the world's imagination more completely than... Elementary, my dear Watson, elementary. Spoken by the most brilliant and popular private detective of all time. The question is still debated to this day. Who was Sherlock Holmes? So, there you go. That's what Oliver was referring to right there. Yes, very brooding. (laughs) Um, My big question is, is why are we in search of Sherlock Holmes? I have no idea. But... uh... that was my big question. So, Steve, right. take it away. <laughs> Steve, what were your well, impressions? Well, to begin with, um, and I have this written um, in big letters and capitalized in my notes, when Leonard Nimoy says that that phrase, elementary, my dear Watson, elementary, has transcended the printed page, that is wrong. Really? He never said it in the stories. That was an invention of the movies. Aha. He did say it in the movies, but he did not say it in any of the stories. So Arthur Conan Doyle never actually wrote the words elementary, my dear Watson. Exactly. It's kind of like beam me up, Scotty. Ah, okay. 
right? You know, he said they said variations. Mm-hmm. Like he he did say elementary. He did say my dear Watson, <laughs> but he didn't say them in the in that phrase, right? The same way like beam me up, Scotty. Nobody actually ever said beam me up, Scotty. Nobody ever said Luke, I am your father. Right, exactly. You know, it's 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 that it's that kind of thing. He did use those words, but mm-hmm. not in that way. So right from the beginning, there's a, a false step. Just just to let people know, uh, the actual line from Star Wars is, "No, I am your father." So just just to let you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't work when you take it out of context, though. Right. And Baru. <laughs> 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 so, so you know, they, you know, of course, that clip ends with, who was Sherlock Holmes? He was a fictional detective written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, and he, his period was around, uh, it, it was about the time of an episode that we discussed not too long ago, Jack the Ripper. So it was, you know, Victorian London. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna do a an impression of this episode myself. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that Sherlock Holmes was born out of a time that needed a hero. Um, you know, it was a time of high crime and poverty, and people wanted some someone something to turn to, you know, to give them some hope. You know, kind of like uh, Superman came out of the Great Depression and uh, GI Joe came out of the Cold War. It, it was a lot, you know, to me, it felt like that same thing. You know, the, you had corrupt cops and um, high crime and poverty going on in, in, you know, this time in Victorian England. You know, you needed this, you know, you you needed this super detective to be the hero. Am, I think that's very, I think that's very well put, Jason. I mean, with it, I mean, he really he does have a, he is a su- superhero archetype mm-hmm. because he's never wrong, right? And he has a sidekick. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that we built up about modern superheroes now, he very much was. And remember that what the Scarlet, whatever it was called, what was it? Was the Scarlet? Uh, Steve, the, the... <laughs> studying Scarlet. Started in Scarlet came out what seven years after? No, it would have come out about fifteen years after uh, Jack the Ripper, right? No, it came out two years before. It came out. It came out in eighteen eighty. Eighteen eighty six. Eighty six. Yeah. Ooh, maybe Jack the Ripper was influenced by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But I think you're right. I think it was. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. It was a superhero of the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and and you're absolutely right because they they. Jack the Ripper, and I, I think it's you know very important that they came out at the same time. Is like Jack the Ripper, um, obviously as a real person, but in in terms of the way he sort of galvanized or captured the imagination of the people at the time, is, is the same reason, the opposite reason, right? He was mm-hmm. he was kind of like the bad version of Sherlock Holmes, right? You know, right. that both both of them, one real and one fictional. Uh, uh, and although, I mean, uh, the fact that Jack the Ripper is still un- was unknown, I think helped to, mm-hmm. to capture the imagination as well. They become these sort of two cultural touchstones hmm. that people could people can uh, go by, right? Because keep in mind, at the time, what you had is you had a major influx of people coming mm-hmm. from the country into these urban areas. There was not enough work. Mm-hmm. There were 
There are no social programs like unemployment or social security or those kinds of things. So what you had is you had not just an increase in population, but you had an increase in crime because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, if you're hungry, you're going to you're going to find other ways of getting your food. Right. And what we what people don't realize um, is that the police were very understaffed. Mm hmm. Right. Uh, you know, I don't have the exact figures for, for the 1880s, but I know in, in 1865, um, you know, there were six police detectives. Wow. For the entire country. Right. So you, you can you can understand why a police force may not be able to solve all of those crimes. Right. Right. Not because they were dumb or, you know, uh uh, and obviously some of them were corrupt, but, you know, it, they just didn't have the manpower, they, right? They o- just didn't have the resources. O- overworked and <laughs> understaffed. Right. Well, right. also the the, yeah. old, the whole concept of a, of a detective really hadn't come to bloom yet. Right. right. I mean, a- Alan Pinkerton, maybe in the 1870s, had come up with the whole, with the whole idea of, a, of, a, of someone who only detected, so to mm-hmm. speak. Right. Uh, you know, within the police department. So it was a fairly new concept right. exactly. as well. Yeah, so. exactly. Ah, so I, I have another clip here. The birth of Sherlock Holmes as a public figure is documented in a rare collection owned by Stanley McKenzie. The big cornerstone of any Sherlock Holmes collection, and uh, which is the envy of most collectors, is... Beaton's Christmas Annual for 1887. In this, A Study in Scarlet was first published. This was the first appearance of the first Sherlock Holmes story. So there we go, A Study in Scarlet. And we have, uh, you know, ba- basically a comic book collector of the day. Yep. <laughs> um, so, let's see. Um, yeah, apparently... Uh, Arthur Conan Doyle received twenty-five pounds for the uh, copyright for his first uh, Sherlock Holmes story, and never received another penny for it after that. So twenty-five pounds—that's it. Well, again, because you know there was no idea of what a copyright was, right. right? You know, our view of a copyright is is something different. Oh, oh, very, very different. You know, than 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 it was at the time. So. Um, and we are, you know, introduced to William Gillette, who played uh, Holmes more than any other actor. And apparently, Holmes played the violin. And um, yeah, I, I did not know that. I, I have not really read much uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, maybe I should at some point. I don't know. <laughs> I've never, Jason. I've never read one either. I, I never saw the movies. Um, I watched two and a half episodes of the one with Benedict Cumberbatch until they got to the Hounds of the Baskerville, and I said, I'm out. <laughs> um, uh, so, no, I have no, no, I mean, I know more, actually, I think I know more about Arthur Conan Doyle than I do about Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And if all your information about Sherlock Holmes comes from this episode of In Search Of, oh, may God help you. Uh, <laughs> um. And oh, so so the big question: What was Arthur Conan Doyle really like? Well, I believed he in fairies. A, yeah, he was a freak show. <laughs> yeah, he was. 
He was a junkie, number one. Uh, I I have a clip of that. Not of him being a junkie. <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle was born in Edinburgh in 1859. Raised in one of the gracious Georgian homes in the new town, he enrolled at the age of 17 as a student of medicine at the university. Here he learned the methods of diagnosis, which applied to the analysis of crime, became the basis of Holmes' famous methods of detection. No one questions that the inspiration for his quick-witted hero came from Doyle's tutor, Dr. Joseph Bell. Okay, first of all, at the very beginning of that clip, really? Edinburgh? Yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, I, have a little, I have a little message to our American friends. <laughs> yes. It's Edinburgh. Yes, I know. Number one. And number two, it's Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Get it right, people. <laughs> <laughs> Not Worcestershire. So then, uh, after that clip, I, I was gonna, I, I wanted to get some of that, uh, some of the clip of the uh, cosplayer of uh, Doctor Joseph Bell, but he just went on and on and on and on. I, I, I didn't get a clip of him. Yeah, um, it, was, it was a reconstruction, yes. which had, I think, a little bit of a um, racial profi- profiling in it. Yes, yes, it did. Um, if just you remember. That this guy comes in and he calls him Pat mm-hmm. because he was clearly Irish. Mm-hmm. And all Irish men are named Patrick. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there, there's a little bit of racial stereotyping there going mm-hmm. on. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Yeah, there's a lengthy reenactment where Bell deduces where Doyle, where Arthur Conan Doyle had been walking based on the uh, the, the clay on his shoes. And it's like, eh, no, that's an old story. That that that's an old anecdote. Um, apparently, Doyle though was not a very successful doctor, so so he wrote. Yeah, he wasn't a very good doctor. <laughs> he had plenty of time to write then. He did. Um. And I have written here, this episode is simply a vehicle for showing all sorts of Sherlock Holmes movie clips. Because we had way too many of them in this episode. Um, and, you know, Sherlock Holmes was very analytical and observant. Uh, he was a truly great detective. So was Batman. Because remember, Batman was not a superhero. He was a detective. Hence, Thank you. Hence, Thank you, Jason. Hence, uh, the, uh, you know, DC stands for Detective Comics. At least that was the original, uh, that's originally what DC stood for. I don't know if it still stands for it today, but it's just DC today. <sighs> but, but they did show a clip of him speaking, which mm. you can get on, which you can get on YouTube. Right. So... Um, yeah, if, uh, if, if I remember, I'll, I'll post a, uh, a link to that, but I'll also have the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the episode in the, uh, show notes. So if you really want, if you really want to go back and watch this episode, um, so now, uh, uh, this is one of my favorites coming up.
Most criminologists of today will tip their hats in gratitude to the legacy of Holmes and his creator. In fact, a member of the Sherlock Holmes Society is an official of Scotland Yard, Philip Dalton. Mr. Dalton kindly consented to escort us to a very special exclusive place. Behind a pub on an obscure street near Trafalgar Square, the Society has assembled a stirring tribute to the leading detective of all time. Yes, and we're taken into uh, 20, 221B Baker Street. Uh, so basically it's early fandom. Uh, yeah. You know, today today there'd be Tumblr pages about it. Um, and people would cosplay as Holmes and Watson. Um, and, uh, you know, hey, N- Nimoy might know a little something about fandoms. <coughs> Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this gave me a great idea, Jason. Yes. Because uh, I'd like to workshop an idea here, if I may. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Because the world's greatest fictional detective, private detective, of course, is Jim Rockford. Mm-hmm. So I think that we should get some cash together, like get a Patreon, to rebuild <laughs> Jim Rockford's trailer. <laughs> buy a little buy, buy that little corner of the parking lot in Malibu and just recreate the trailer. We'd make just, millions. I, I'm just workshopping it here. <laughs> We'll get uh-huh. the Firebird Esprit. All you know, we'll get it, we'll get it from a collector. Mm-hmm. We'll put it in the, in the out front. We're good. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, so do uh, do does law enforcement today, uh, you know, tip their hat to Sherlock Holmes? Oh, geez, I just had another idea. Sorry. Okay. We'll, pay, we'll, we'll charge people to put on the answering machine stuff in That's the right. trailer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's an extra Patreon account. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Sorry, sorry about that, dude. Okay, so you know, as I asked, you know, do, does does uh, law enforcement today tip its hat to Sherlock Holmes? No, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know these things. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. This is basically just a big like cosplay fandom thing that's going on yeah. in uh, in in Trafalgar Square. Now, were you were, were all were they trying to say that all of those things, like the slipper and the violin, were authentic to Conan Doyle? Yeah. Well, no, no. What they're trying okay. to what they're trying to imply that it was authentic to Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Well, he didn't exist, so how can it be yes. authentic? But if you listen, you listen to what what they said. Um, uh, what Philip Dalton said is they preserved this. Um, by order of Mycroft Holmes. Huh. Okay. Well, he's so, fictional too. Yes, because he's Sherlock Holmes' brother. <laughs> so he was pretending that Sherlock Holmes was real and that they redid this room based on Mycroft Holmes's recollections of it. <sighs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, people are let's, people. Let's, people are so nerdy. Let, let's let's go to the next clip. <laughs> the claim that Sherlock Holmes did exist beyond the imagination of Conan Doyle may seem preposterous to many, but as we shall see, there is evidence to support this belief. No. As I as I have written here, wait, people people thought that Sherlock Holmes was an actual person. Yes. 
Even I know Batman isn't a real person. I mean, as they pointed out in the episode, people actually sent letters to Sherlock Holmes. Um, and, and according to H.R.F. Keaton, or Keating, uh, he's one of Doyle's biographers. Uh, yes. He, he was uh, asked to intervene in a horse slashing case. He did. That's, that's, actually, that's true. He, so, he, did, he did do that. So, so Doyle was a detective. Well, I think that's that's kind of what the, they were trying to do. They're trying they're trying to make this connection that Doyle was Holmes, mm-hmm. and that is just absolutely wrong. And he also believed um, in fairies. Well, that's that's the thing. If you if you read the biography of Conan Doyle, he is the complete opposite mm-hmm. of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes Sherlock Holmes believes in you know the scientific method. He doesn't believe in any, the, the whole uh, one of one of his best stories I think is is the Hound of the Baskervilles where there's a supposed demon dog mm-hmm. and Holmes doesn't believe it at all. Hmm. Holmes is there to prove that the dog is a real thing. Right. Right everybody around him believes that the dog dog is some kind of demon dog from hell. And Holmes is no Right, I'm going to prove that it is an actual thing. That mm. there is some I don't know what it is yet, but there is something real going on. Right? right. You know, he was a rationalist. Conan Doyle, however, <laughs> <laughs> believed fairies existed. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there's there's that famous uh, story of the photos, the mm-hmm. the, the fairy photos, yep. which we now know were hoaxed. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They knew they were hoaxed at the time, too, but Doyle believed it. Mm-hmm. Doyle believed that his wife could talk to dead people. He believed his wife was a medium. Hmm. Um, and he, he uh, for a while there, he was friends with Harry Houdini. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he believed he had Houdini over and got his wife to channel Harry Houdini's dead mother. Oh. Um, Houdini obviously didn't believe that. No, 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 no. Houdini was um, a uh, Houdini was a card carrying skeptic and yeah. did more to discredit uh, the psychics and the mediums of the day than than anyone. Yeah, because he knew the tricks. Oh yeah, he could he could he could do it. He, oh, I know. He knew, he knew how they did it. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, Doyle believed that Houdini was actually doing something supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> And then Houdini would explain to him that, no, this is a trick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it was James Randi who quoted Houdini when he said, well, if you believe that, that then you're just pretty, you're, you're saying, well, I did it the hard way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like, yeah, he didn't. He Steve's right. He was buddies with Houdini mm-hmm. and he just he thought Houdini was supernatural in some <laughs> way. Yeah. All I have to say is science. <laughs> So, I, I just held up my uh, my my Fallout Four uh, Vault Boy uh, Science Edition. So, um, yeah. So apparently, he figured out that uh, the the guy who was originally accused of uh, the horse slashing crime was uh, pretty much blind, so he couldn't he he couldn't he couldn't really make the. Uh, you know, travel to where he did to slash up the horses. So, I got to tell you that I found this story a little fishy. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, me too. N- not only for the detective thing, but in in that time in England, 
Um, I I would not believe that someone who is South Asian, if I can mm-hmm. put it that way, uh, would even achieve the ranks in class that he supposedly did. Hmm. I mean, I I that I have a hard time tr- believing that one. But Steve, you're telling me this story is true. Yeah, the story is true. The, the story is true. Hmm. Um, that that Conan Doyle did get in, did did get involved. Um, uh, George Adalji was the guy's name, mm-hmm. um, and he did he did achieve sort of a, a certain class level. Because um, you also have to remember that like a lot of people sort of became sort of quote unquote middle class. Um, back in India, and then they would immigrate to England. Hmm. And oh, so, I, I understand that, but I, I I didn't know that Victorian England would accept them hmm. in that role. Yeah, it, okay. It, it accept them not completely. It was hit and miss, is what you're it trying was hit to say, and miss, right? Like, <laughs> okay. like part of part of the theory is that the reason he was convicted was because he was South Asian. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That that part of it was that there was a kind of a racial motivation behind that mm. because obviously it's, it's the kind of thing you know this this thing has happened um who is the new guy in town right oh oh it's this it's this funny looking guy um this didn't happen before he showed up so there there were racial elements to it mm. so they were grudgingly accepted ah. they weren't they weren't completely accepted ah. um you know Ah, so I I have another clip here. Again, I don't know what these are because I just record them and I forget what they are because they're so memorable. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and his creator were inseparably linked. In his autobiography, Doyle admitted, A man cannot spin a character out of his own inner consciousness and make it really lifelike unless he has some of that character within him. gonna give in search of uh the pass here um uh you know as someone who writes i'm not i i do not like calling myself a writer because you know i haven't written anything of any great importance or anything really good but you know when i write characters yes i put parts of myself in characters because you know that's what you do when you write you write what you know and in a lot of cases you put not not even you know not even like who you are but who you want to be in those characters so yeah i believe that conan doyle was writing you know at least who he wanted to be you know as sherlock holmes you know he was basically an awful doctor so you know let's make let's make me a great detective instead so and i i i'll give him credit you know that you got to be really good to write a a a mystery you know that is fairly airtight i guess i I don't know how many holes how many plot holes appear in uh uh, sherlock holmes novels but from what i understand they are fairly airtight so you know i you know I'll, i'll give them i'll give them benefit of the doubt there on that you know that yeah you you write yourself in your characters Anyone? So does it, does this explain why I have a deep desire to be the Riddler? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> okay. 
Steve, anything to add there? Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, I don't disagree with it, what you're saying, but you know what I'm try- what I think they're trying to do is sort of say that Doyle was Holmes. Right. I think I, I think they're trying to make that connection a lot more. Yeah. A lot stronger. And we'll we'll find out why uh, at the yeah. end. Yeah. You know, and so and so while I don't like I say I don't disagree with what you're saying, there is a point where those characters become their own thing. Mm-hmm divorced from you because they, they have to be because right other otherwise you know you'd just be writing the same stuff over and over again mm-hmm. and, you know there's a point where you know you may begin sort of writing about yourself and bringing in aspects of your own experience into it but there's a point where they or at least the good characters <laughs> sort of achieve their own sentience as it, as it were right? right so i i have one final clip For those who believe Sherlock Holmes was only a figment of a writer's imagination, In Search Of humbly submits its deduction that he did, in a very real way, exist. Okay. Um, I almost feel like that line was written with Rod Serling in mind. Because that's a very, you know, we, we humbly submit or, you know, submitted for your approval are, you know, very Twilight Zone lines. So I, yeah, I was just I, I was just very uh, I, I like that, you know, I yeah, I felt like, yeah, that was probably a nod to Rod Serling, who hosted the original four episodes that uh, would become in search of, which, by the way, we are doing the second special as a. Uh, as a special for this season. I forgot to tell you guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I don't know which one it is now off the top of my head, but we'll figure it out. But anyway, why this episode and what what made it so special? And, and why, why is it so on brand? Who is the writer and producer? But J. Francis Hitching. Ladies and gentlemen, the man himself. I, I figured... uh, can I? Sorry, Jason. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I'll, a little inside the ba- inside baseball here is that you two were having this discussion, DM discussion, about how surprised you were that that uh, Francis <laughs> Hitchings was involved in this, and I'm like going, guys, <laughs> it's about an imaginary thing, of course. <laughs> Why is this a shocker? <laughs> it's for about me, for, something that doesn't exist. For me, for me, it was it was a shocker because normally he writes himself into it. Mm-hmm. And somehow he was not the Sherlock Holmes expert in this episode. No, that's a very good point. Uh, J. Francis Hitching. I wonder how many more episodes he has. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. I just want to see what kind of retainer he got. Oh, no <laughs> That's kidding. what I'm interested in. <laughs> uh, so I've come to the end of my notes. Uh, how about you, gentlemen? Anything to add? Not for me. Oh, I have loads I can add, but I would be here for hours, so I will not. <laughs> We're only at 31 and a half minutes. Um, anything? anything it, 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 drop something on us, Steve. Just one little piece of information um uh doyle's son died in the first world war Mm. um and if and if if you look at the sort of like in the post-world war one period 
Um, I think I think in part um, not, he becomes kind of a character um, within um, society mm-hmm. because with his belief in spiritualism. Right. And if you look at the end of the First World War, and this is completely understandable um, why it happens, the interest in spiritualism suddenly shoots up. Hmm. Right. Because, you know, he's um, all these people, obviously, the trauma of the First World War. They want to know their fan, that their their loved ones are okay. They're in a good place. They're trying to contact you know their dead brothers, their dead sons, and as much as I I'm not a spiritualist myself and I don't believe in that kind of thing, I can perfectly understand why people had this sort of spiritual idea. Hmm. Um, you know, you see it all throughout the literature of the period, not not just in Conan Doyle. Um, for example, an author that I, I read, uh, Robert Graves, who some of you may know from I, Claudius. Uh, he wrote the novel to, uh, to I, Claudius. He tells a story about going to Siegfried Sassoon's house. Siegfried Sassoon is a World War I poet, um, and he, sta- he stayed at Siegfried Sassoon's house one night, and he was awoken in the middle of the night by a shriek hmm. um, because uh, Sassoon's brother, Hamo, had died at Gallipoli. Um, and his mother, their mother was trying to have, was having a seance, hmm. um, and, and was trying to, um, uh, contact her dead son. And in the course of, obviously Graves wasn't there, so he didn't know what happened, but it ended with this incredible shriek. Um, and he wrote that he left because it was more frightening than the war. Hmm. <laughs> um, Sassoon wasn't too pleased. Sassoon tried hmm. to sue him over it, but you know. Interesting, but you know, so and so, what we have in that in that period is, is that sort of increase in spiritualism, mm-hmm. right? you know. So, you know, as people like Houdini are trying to disprove it, and I think this is one of the reasons why Houdini put so much effort in trying to disprove it, is because, and I think this does Houdini credit, is that he saw people in deep, deep mourning. Um, being taken advantage of. No kidding. And it right? still happens like, today. Exactly. You know, and he understood the, the, the trauma of the war and you had these con artists um, and he knew they were con artists because he knew the tricks, mm-hmm. right? As I said before, and he, you know, he saw these con artists taken advantage of these people who were mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it, really annoyed him and that's why i think it, it and it ultimately ended the friendship between doyle and houdini because houdini just couldn't deal with it anymore and he he made a, a, a he had a press conference just after doyle's wife allegedly contacted his mother mm-hmm. and basically called called her a fraud hmm. And said, and it obviously you know it ended the relationship the, the friendship between doyle and houdini um, Excellent. It, I mean, it was the way he did it was a little crappy in the sense right. that they were on a boat going to England when he gave the press conference. Oh. So they they arrived in Southampton in England to suddenly have all these newspaper people saying, "Hey, did you see here that Houdini called you a fraud?" <laughs> um, so they had no warning, which perhaps was 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 a little um, yeah, nasty. A little, that was a little shot below the belt, you know. But you know, as I said, you know, I, I think I. To be honest, I think that that's what it was, is Houdini saw these people as taking advantage of people who had lost close relatives in this horrible war. And, 
you know, he just got angry. Hmm. Excellent. So, uh, all right. Uh, Oliver, anything to add? <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm just listening uh, to Steve Wax poetic. I, yes. I was fascinated. Yes. Same here. Now we're over 36 minutes. <laughs> there you go. See? See? Just, just turn me on and I can go. <laughs> I, I know that. That's why you're here. I'm not so. turning you on, Steve, under any circumstances. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> anyway... Oliver, tell people where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Oliver Rockside. Excellent, Steve. In in uh, in twenty five words or less, where can people find you? <laughs> well, I have two hundred forty characters on Twitter. Remember? Oh yes, um, uh, I think it's two hundred forty. Um, I am at Doc Pinko, and you can find me at Alien CG. Uh, you can find this podcast at Illuminati Pod. Elementary, my dear Doc Pinko and Oliver Oxide. Elementary. Have a good week, everyone. Toodles, kids. See ya.